And Solomon made affinity with Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and took Pharaoh's daughter and brought her into the city of David until he had made an end of building his own house and the house of the Lord and the wall of Jerusalem round about. Solomon has recently ascended the throne of Israel following the death of his father, David. There have already been attempts to usurp him, but he has now established his position. He now takes Pharaoh's daughter as his queen, and we can assume that she has been converted to faith in the one true God of Israel. Uh, because there is no mention here of Solomon uh, doing wrong uh, through this union. And we know that at this stage of his life, Solomon was remaining faithful to the Lord. Also, since Solomon is in Scripture, a prophetic and typical forerunner of the Lord Jesus Christ, We may see in this marriage to a Gentile queen a prophetic hint of the bringing of the Gentiles into the New Testament church. Now the king has begun major building works in Jerusalem on a royal palace. He has been strengthening the city walls And most importantly, work has begun on the temple, which would become the heart and focus of the nation's spiritual life. Solomon then is taking responsibility for the defence of the realm. Uh, He is making the necessary military Defences in order that the nation is secure. But he is also ensuring at the same time the establishment of true worship according to the law of God. Solomon knows that he owes his position as king to the Lord and so is answerable to him. And this is the great missing factor in our modern political life. Our leaders simply do not realise that they are answerable to the Trinitarian God. And it is our task to tell them that. As Paul says in Romans 13, there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Rulers are not a terror to good works, but to the evil. The ruler is the minister of God to thee for good. That is God's ideal, that the government of the land upholds God's righteous laws. Rulers hold office as God's 
servants. And they must govern under the authority of God's word. Now many today would find that principle archaic and even laughable. Uh, But we have to convince our rulers and indeed the population generally that governments, members of parliament are answerable to God. Even uh, more than answerable to an electorate, they are first and foremost answerable to Almighty God. Now we read in Deuteronomy 17 and verse 18 these words. When he sitteth upon the throne of his kingdom, he shall write him a copy of this law in a book out of that which is before the priests, the Levites. And it shall be with him, and he shall read therein all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, to keep all the words of this law and these statutes to do them. Now there in Deuteronomy 17, Moses is outlining the duties of the future kings of Israel. He must read out of the book of the law all the days of his life that he may learn to fear the Lord his God. That is not just an abiding principle for the kings of Israel. It is an abiding principle for all governments today. Now, Solomon was young when he first came to the throne, being just about 20 years old. He was therefore rightly conscious of his inexperience. And not everything was immediately right in the kingdom. Because we are told uh, in verse 2, only the people sacrificed in high places because there was no house built under the name of the Lord until those days. And so the Israelites at this time were making sacrifices to God on the tops of hills in various different parts of the land. Now such a practice was similar to what the Canaanites had previously done and it was expressly forbidden by God's law. Deuteronomy 12, verse 13. Take heed to thyself that thou offer not thy burnt offerings in every place that thou seest, but in the place which the Lord shall choose. There shalt thou offer thy burnt offerings. The people should only have offered sacrifices at the tabernacle at this stage which historically contained the Ark of the Covenant that wooden chest overlaid with pure gold which contained the two tablets of stone upon which were engraved the Ten Commandments 
It was specifically here, before the ark, that God decreed he should be approached. This is where sacrifices should be offered up. Again, however, there was irregularity at this time because the ark was residing in a tent in Jerusalem whilst the tabernacle was at a completely different location in Gibeon. So the nation's worship was no longer being conducted as God had required it be conducted. Sacrificing on a hill of their own choosing was a conformity to the religious practices of the nations round about who were idolaters, who worshipped false gods. As the temple was now being built, Solomon did allow the use of the various high places, these altars upon several hills, to carry on temporarily. But it was still wrong that that kind of worship was taking place. By constructing a permanent temple, he was certainly moving in the right direction. But there were still matters to be rectified. And the king knew that he needed the wisdom of God to help him. Verse 3, And Solomon loved the Lord, walking in the statutes of David, his father. Only he sacrificed and burnt incense in high places. So, despite the irregularity of the worship on the hilltops, Solomon loved the Lord and had a genuine, heartfelt desire to honour and obey him. The statutes of David, his father, in which he walked, means the statutes of the Lord, of course, as readily embraced by David. As he was dying, David had solemnly said to Solomon, Uh, And we read this in the previous chapter here, in verse 3. Keep the charge of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways, to keep his statutes and his commandments, as it is written in the law of Moses, that thou mayest prosper in all that thou doest. Does a nation wish to prosper? It must keep the statutes of the one true God. Verse 4. And the king went to Gibeon to sacrifice there. For that was the great high place. As we have said, Gibeon at this time was the major centre for worship in Israel. Here was the tabernacle. And here was the brazen altar as appointed by God through Moses. This offering up of sacrifices was a great national occasion. 
And we are told of the same event uh, in 2 Chronicles 1 and verse 2. Solomon spake unto all Israel, to the captains of thousands and of hundreds and to the judges, and to every governor in all Israel, the chief of the fathers. So Solomon and all the congregation with him went to the high place that was at Gibeon. For there was the tabernacle of the congregation of God. So at this great gathering of people, uh, there were representatives of all the population, leaders of clans and families, and local magistrates from all the different regions. And it was the king who had called them all together for this act of public and national worship. And so we see in Solomon here the head of state acting as a focal point of the nation's obedience to God. This is monarchy acting as it ought to do. When we think of King George VI on two occasions in 1940 calling the whole nation to prayer at a time of grave national crisis. We see in Solomon's leadership of Israel a model for government in our own day. Now we're not saying that any nation today should become a theocracy. Israel was unique in that Respect, but it is certainly a biblical principle that all governments must govern in the light of God's commandments and as being answerable to God because they are meant to be the servants of God. Going back to Romans chapter 13. And so we are reminded that at her coronation in 1953, the Queen was asked, will you to the utmost of your power maintain the laws of God and the true profession of the Gospel? Will you to the utmost of your power maintain in the United Kingdom the Protestant Reformed religion as established by law? And the Queen replied, All this I promise to do. She was then handed a Bible as the following words were uttered. To keep your majesty ever mindful of the law and gospel of God as the rule for the whole life and government of Christian princes, we present you with this book the most valuable thing that this world affords. Here is wisdom. This is the royal law. These are the lively oracles of God. What a blessing we have 
as a nation to have a constitution like that. And here is another reason why we cannot be members of the European Union. Because the constitution of the European Union, which is to be found in the preamble to the Lisbon Treaty, makes no reference to Christianity whatsoever. It simply refers to the religious and humanistic influences upon European civilization. In other words, the leaders of the European Union did not choose to identify with the one true faith of the Christian scriptures. We have this precious constitution. It is now, of course, much under threat. It is a constitution which is, is ignored. And so we need to remind our politicians that they should not ignore it and they have no legal right to ignore it. They are acting unconstitutionally by ignoring it. Now we are also told in verse 4 here, a thousand burnt offerings did Solomon offer upon that altar. Notice the enormous scale of this sacrificial offering. This is Solomon's acknowledgement of how much God was blessing him. And it is also an offering on behalf of the whole nation. <coughs> you see, the king is presenting to the Lord the sacrifices of the people as a whole, as their representative. And so here is a public and national identification by the head of state with the one true Trinitarian God. God can only be approached through the shedding of blood in atonement for sin. The blood of these slain beasts symbolises satisfaction of God's justice upon the sins of the worshippers and they point forward to the supreme sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ upon the cross. What a blessing to have a ruler and head of state to publicly identify with the one true faith of Jesus Christ. That is a blessing which still at this very moment we have. Our head of state is required to identify with the kingship of Christ. Verse 5. In Gibeon the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream by night. And God said, ask what I shall give thee. By means of the many sacrifices at the altar, Solomon has been honouring the Lord before the whole nation during that day. And now the Lord rewards him 
with a special manifestation of his presence during the night. Dreams uh, were a means and still can be on occasions of God communicating prophetic revelation. They were particularly so in the Old Testament period. Part of the miracle of the communication is that Solomon, though sleeping, is able to hear, think, and respond with an absolute clarity of mind. The Lord asked the king what he would like to receive from him. Verse 6. And Solomon said, Thou hast showed unto thy servant David my father great mercy, according as he walked before thee in truth, and in righteousness, and in uprightness of heart with thee. And thou hast kept for him this great kindness, that thou hast given him a son to sit on his throne as it is this day. And so the king acknowledges the goodness of God to his father David, and that he is now on the throne because the Lord has kept his promise to David. How children today should thank God for the blessings received by their parents. Though David had seriously fallen into sin, he had, by God's grace, recovered. And so Solomon can speak here of his father's walk in righteousness. Even though David had fallen into the sins of adultery and murder. Now we have confirmed here the teaching that rulers and governments only hold office because God so ordains it. We are reminded of Proverbs 8 and verse 15 and 16. By me kings reign, and princes decree justice. By me princes rule, and nobles, even all the judges of the earth. And so we see that these principles apply to all nations, not just to the theocracy in the Old Testament period. It was Solomon who wrote those words in Proverbs 8. And here in 1 Kings 3, he rightly acknowledges the hand of God in determining the affairs of Israel. He ascribes to God's providence the maintenance of the throne in the line of his father. And he recognises that the continuance of his father's royal line is linked to his father's personal obedience to God. Verse 7. And now, O Lord my God, thou hast made thy servant king instead of David my father. And I am but a little child. I know not how to go out 
or come in. Having acknowledged the Lord's goodness, Solomon now puts forth his petition to the Lord. He humbly recognises his youthfulness and inexperience for the task of governing the nation. Verse 8 And thy servant is in the midst of thy people which thou hast chosen. A great people that cannot be numbered nor counted for multitude. Israel's population has much expanded under the blessing of God. What are we doing in modern Britain? We are destroying our offspring through abortion. Israel is unique amongst all the nations of the earth as being the very people of God. They are unique in this point of history. The Lord, in his providential actions, has exalted the nation and made them into a numerous people. That's a sign of God's blessing. Today, people are saying, oh, we've got to protect the planet and so have less children. They are actually going against. God's means of blessing. It's tragic to hear so many girls and young women today defend abortion. We've been out preaching in the open air this week and we, we had confrontations with young women saying that they had a right to kill the heart-beating life in their wounds. Whatever happened to the maternal instinct? You see what sin does? What happens when a nation departs from God's commandments? And so Solomon here is acknowledging God's blessing upon the nation as he comes to the throne, Israel is being exalted as a nation. It is not unions with other nations or carefully crafted alliances and economic arrangements which make a country secure and prosperous. It is righteousness before God which alone can make a nation great. And this is the message that we have to bring to our own nation today. So this is what Solomon prays in verse 9. Give therefore thy servant an understanding heart to judge thy people, that I may discern between good and bad. For who is able to judge this, thy so great a people? Solomon feels overwhelmed by his utter inability to govern the nation. He asks that the Lord will give him the wisdom 
to be equal to the task of ruling such a great nation. Now, what an exemplary prayer we have here for the new government of any nation today. Would that the next Prime Minister prayed this prayer. But will he, or perhaps she, there could be no better way for Solomon to begin his reign than this. He does not ask for wealth or for military might, but he asks for a heart of wisdom to know God's perfect will. We remember the words with which our own queen was crowned. She was crowned under the authority of the scriptures. We have to be on our guard today, however, because the distinctively biblical and Protestant nature of our coronation service is now seriously under threat. As a report issued in 2018, last year, by the Constitution Unit of University College London here, readily shows. Proposals are being made to undermine and radically change our existing constitution because it does not fit in well with a modern multicultural society. We have to defend our Christian foundations because without them we are lost as a nation. The Lord is pleased with Solomon's prayer. Verse 10 The speech pleased the Lord that Solomon had asked this thing. You see, Solomon was giving priority to the nation's standing before God. He was also putting much stress upon his own faithfulness to God as a ruler. Moses says this in Deuteronomy 4 and verse 6. For what nation is there so great who hath God so nigh unto them? And what nation is there so great that hath statutes and judgments so righteous as all this law which I set before you this day? Moses knew that the secret of Israel's greatness was its adherence to the word of God. How many of our politicians today realise that? A nation must have righteous laws based on scripture. Not laws condoning the killing of innocent life in the womb. Not laws upholding an immoral perversion of marriage. Not laws encouraging the profaning of the Lord's day 
through sport and unnecessary commercial activity. Verse 11. And God said unto him, Because thou hast asked this thing, and hast not asked for thyself long life, neither hast asked riches for thyself, nor hast asked the life of thine enemies, but hast asked for thyself understanding to discern judgment. Behold, I have done according to thy words. Lo, I have given thee a wise and an understanding heart, so that there was none like thee before thee, neither after thee shall any arise like unto thee. Solomon has laid aside thoughts of Israel's earthly glory. He has desired above all else that God will make him wise. Because his task is to act as the chief magistrate in the land and to enact laws which will be a reflection of God's holy laws. Now the Lord is about to wonderfully bless the nation. Why? Because the leader of the nation has resolved to put the word of God at the heart of the nation's life. And because Solomon had given the nation that priority, what do we find? Verse 13. I have also given thee that which thou hast not asked, both riches and honour, so that there shall not be any among the kings like unto thee all thy days. The Lord, in response to Solomon's right priorities, not only grants him the wisdom for which he asked, but other blessings for which he did not ask. Wealth, majesty, and long life, and great national blessing. In God's providence, godliness and devotion to him have a tendency to the reception of earthly blessings. This is clearly taught by the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy 4 and verse 8. Godliness is profitable unto all things, having promise of the life that now is. Honour God, and we shall receive earthly help and blessing. Now that's not the false health, wealth, prosperity gospel. But it is a biblical principle that God will watch over the material needs of those who honour him. And the same principle applies to nations. Do we want to be a prosperous nation? Well, let us start fearing Almighty God. A foreign alliance can't make us prosperous. To fear the Lord can make us prosperous. Verse 14. And if thou wilt walk in my ways to keep my statutes and my commandments, 
as thy father David did walk, then I will lengthen thy days. And so, this promise of long life is a further statement of the principle that godliness has a tendency to earthly blessing, as well as leading to the eternal blessings of the glory to come. Verse 15, Solomon awoke, and behold, it was a dream. He wakes up and he knows that he has received a special revelation from the Lord. His heart is full of praise. Verse 15 continues. And he came to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the covenant of the Lord and offered up burnt offerings and offered peace offerings and made a feast to all his servants. The nation is going to enjoy mighty (coughs) blessings at God's hand. And so Solomon includes all his servants in the royal court in this public act of thanksgiving and worship. What a blessing to a nation to have a leader who fears God. Let us pray that at this coming election God might raise up those who fear him. What we need is not leaders who are going to put more public money into this or more public money into that. We need leaders who fear God. Under God's mighty hand, Israel here will become the wonder and envy of the world. But not because Solomon was pursuing an earthly glory, but because he feared God and sought to uphold God's perfect laws. And this can be the only pattern for our nation today. Our government must acknowledge that the nation can only prosper as it honours the one true Trinitarian God who manifests himself in Jesus Christ. And of course, the individuals within the nation must turn in repentance and faith to the only Saviour of the world. So let us pray that in the forthcoming election the Lord will indeed raise up into high places those who fear him and who tremble at his word. Let us pray above all else for the preaching of the gospel that many in our land might be converted to Christ because then gradually the scriptures will again become part of the fabric of our national life and society as they once were. And they will gradually become 
more and more a characteristic of what this nation represents and is all about. Only righteousness can exhort our nation. Solomon here put the Lord and his word at the heart of the nation's life. Might we learn from his example and might we do likewise in our own day and generation. Amen. Amen.